You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Monday. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz is off doing some digital stuff for tonight's national championship men's title game. So Courtney Cronin hanging out with me tonight here on ESPN Radio. And we have a ton to react to from this weekend, including a couple hoops games that neither team lost. One team was just behind when the time ran out. That's how I saw it. Here's how one of them sounded. Here comes Suggs. Long three for the win. Banks it home. Banks it home. Jalen Suggs. A deep banked three to Sten Gonzaga. One step closer to history. Yeah, that's the call from Westwood One NCAA Radio Network. Uh, Courtney, we can only hope that the game tonight will have anything near the excitement and the drama of the end of that one. But that set us up. For what should be a great one tonight. We'll get into the men's title game in just a minute. We also had an NCAA women's title game that came down to the last shot. We'll get into that in just a minute. But of course, we're expecting a big night of basketball. And Courtney, your sport, you cover the Vikings, you cover the NFL, goes ahead and jams its way right into our basketball night with the news that Sam Darnold finally gets traded, something we've been waiting for for quite some time. Break down your initial reaction to the Jets finally saying goodbye to Darnold. A, not surprised. B, wondering why today. After everything that we had heard the last couple, you know, 10, 11, 12 days about Zach Wilson's pro day blowing everybody away at BYU and what are the Jets waiting on and where do they have the most leverage? Is this going to be something that you see in the weeks leading up to draft night or on draft night itself? I was a little surprised at the timing of it and also that there was one quarterback involved in this trade, that Teddy Bridgewater was not a part of this package. That, to me, was probably the thing that irked me the most about it, but the writing had been on the wall for a while, I feel, Sarah, that he, he was on borrowed time there. Like, this is not the Mike McCagnan Jets. You know that they're taking a quarterback at number two. They're not going to go and draft a wide receiver do, or draft an offensive lineman, do something that doesn't make sense when the most evident thing at that position is to draft a quarterback. But the timing of it kind of threw me for a whirl, kind of a not-so-quiet Monday. Yeah, Adam Schefter, the first to break it. The Jets send Darnold to the Panthers for a 2021 sixth-round pick and second- and fourth-round picks in 2022. Here's a little more from Schefter on the SportsCenter with Ryan Smith. What it means is that Sam Darnold is going to be their starting quarterback. They're going to pick up the fifth-year option on his contract. Look, when the Carolina Panthers were having trade conversations with the Detroit Lions about Matthew Stafford, they offered Teddy Bridgewater to the Lions in return for Matthew Stafford, along with the eighth overall pick. And so Teddy Bridgewater's future in Carolina is uncertain. Sam Darnold is going to be the starting quarterback there. And the Panthers made this move, Ryan, because they recognized that at number eight, they were not going to get the quarterback that they wanted. Yeah, Carolina last year, 17th in efficiency for their offense. Bridgewater himself, 17th in QBR. He was still better than what we've ever seen from Darnold, but Darnold is the eternal question mark. Until he is anywhere but on the Jets, we will hear countless people, including I was listening to local radio out in New York, New Jersey. They don't know what he is either. And that's, Courtney, what makes this such an interesting trade because there are those who will argue that the Jets should have given him a chance to earn the job against presumably, uh, you know, Zach Wilson 
whoever whoever they take, if they do end up taking Zach Wilson, that they should have given him a chance under new head coach Robert Sala to actually prove himself. Um, and then there are plenty that have said, listen, you, if you are great, can emerge beyond a bad coach and a bad team and at least show some signs. And we never really saw signs from Darnold, right? No, and I know that there were injuries and other reasons uh, behind the just the limited sample size that we saw there, but... That's where my holdup is. Did you really go exhaust every single option to determine whether he was going to be your guy or not? I mean, they they cut bait really soon. And, and that, to me, is either the sign of friction within the front office, of obviously the, the previous coaching staff not being on the same page whatsoever and bringing in a new staff. I would like to think that you'd want to give him a chance, you know, draft a rookie quarterback, let Sam Darnold earn this job, but also have your backup option that if Darnold ends up being what you expected him to be when you drafted him a couple years ago uh, in 2018 in the first round, great. Then you have great trade leverage with, if you do get Zach Wilson at two, which everybody's expecting, um, for, for that to garner more, you know, more draft capital for the future. But I just think they kind of gave up on him too quickly, but this was such a foregone conclusion for weeks that I didn't see it working out any other scenario than the one that did today. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz uh, on ESPN Radio. I disagree. I kind of think they gave up to on him while he was there, right? Bad coaching. They took away his weapons. They didn't develop him. They didn't put him in a position to succeed. And because they did that over the course of his first three years, it – it, it's time to go. You, you, you've you now spoiled him for the situation that he's in, even if you do bring in a new coach. And I think we now find out whether he goes somewhere else and it's a situation that allows him to thrive. And it's a pretty big risk for the Panthers. GM Scott Fitterer talked about the decision on a Zoom call today. Going back to when he was coming out of USC, he's a guy that I really liked, you know, liked the competitor, liked the toughness, the ability to move in the pocket. Uh, he can make big plays, you know, down the field with his arm. You know, all those things really stood out about him. I just think in this offense with Joe Brady, with Matt Rule, the weapons that we have around him, that he can take that next step with us. Overall, the, the whole idea of bringing Sam in was to, to raise the competition level at the, at the position and get to where we need to be. Yeah, so Matt Rule had actually interviewed with the Jets and talked to Darnold during the interview, really liked what he said about culture, the questions that he asked about what the team would look like under rule, and apparently that helped influence the decision to bring him here. Interestingly, Fitterer also said this doesn't preclude the Panthers from taking a quarterback in the draft. They wanted to improve competition at the position, which some are seeing as a potential sign to say, hey, if if you get to number eight, the quarterback you like or are desperate for starts to fall in the draft, you know, let us know. We might be in business. So um, this might not all be over, but for now... Uh, we will talk to Rich Samini coming up for a little bit more on what's going on with the Darnold trade, but so many different takes, which I think has defined Darnold's first couple of years in the league. A lot of uh, people who uh, think it's over and a lot who believe that he still deserves a chance to play for a different coach in a different place. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin and for Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. We will get to a lot of coverage of the title game tonight between Gonzaga and Baylor, breaking down those two teams and expectations. Last night, we saw an incredible win for Stanford, the first one for Coach Tara Vanderveer, the winningest coach in women's basketball in 29 seasons. Chaneo Gumake, a Stanford alum who has been hopping all over the network today, celebrating and has a little bit of a scratchy voice from wherever the hell she was celebrating last night, <laughs> will also join. But I wanted to quickly play some thoughts from Monica McNutt on SportsCenter all night because I think she really nailed both what was great about this for Stanford, but also for the whole tournament. 
Well, I think we know that Tara is one of the best in the game. Um, she's the winningest coach right now in, in women's NCAA history. She passed her good friend Pat Summon, and obviously Gino is right on her heels. But there's no question about where she is in terms of coaches in the game of women's basketball. More than anything, Jay, I'm encouraged by this, particularly by Arizona, which is not a team that is mentioned in the upper echelon of women's basketball programs. I'm encouraged about the parity of the game, the growth of the game, the opportunities that more elite athletes are willing to spread out their talent around the country, literally, like we had a Pac-12 highlighted national championship. And so it's not just UConn, Notre Dame, or what, Tennessee anymore. And I think that's excellent. Yeah, the parity all season at an incredible tournament. The level of play, the quality of of competition was fantastic. A huge win for the NCAA women's tournament. We'll talk to Janae about it a little bit later. But coming up, why did the Jets make the Darnold deal now? Something Courtney just alluded to. An expert is going to join us now and try to explain it here on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We got a whole night's worth of basketball from last night to get into. We got a title game on the men's side tonight. We've got tournaments to wrap up. We got our own pandemic madness to get to and splat in the middle of it after all this waiting. Finally, the Jets decide to pull the trigger and trade Sam Darnold to the Panthers for three picks. We'll get into some of the details of it here at Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. And joining us now in the Goodyear Hotline, ESPN Jets reporter Rich Samini to give us the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Rich, can you explain the timing of this for the Jets? Well, yeah, it's a little unusual. I mean, I thought it would go right up until the draft, to be quite honest. I mean, I was fairly certain that Sam was going to be traded, but uh, I thought it would go past this weekend because this weekend, I think Thursday, they have the medical rechecks in Indianapolis, and I thought the Jets would want to get a doctor looking at some of the uh, Zach Wilson medicals he got a surgically repaired shoulder but i'm told the jets feel comfortable with all that stuff so they went ahead and did this today for uh and the sam Darnold era comes to a very abrupt end so we know now or at least we can infer that since these are not the mike mccagnan jets that they're going to do what we expect them to do it too right rich so that would mean by way of byu they go take zach wilson why would they not want to keep Darnold around just for even competition to see how the quarterback position would have panned out. Why get rid of him and get this haul of, you know, some good picks, some, but nothing, not a first rounder or anything like that. Why not keep two quarterbacks and try to see who the best one is to field week one? Well, it, it's an interesting thought. In fact, I was told the Jets actually considered that scenario, uh, pairing Sam with the rookie they draft. And after much consideration, and there was – debate within the jet organization i mean this was not a, a, a unanimous uh slam dunk decision i mean it took some internal debate before they arrived at this decision and they just determined that uh, you know they, they wanted a fresh start at the quarterback position they have a new coach i could understand wanting that fresh start and co- to be quite honest i was told that they were cognizant of a potential quarterback controversy which in new york would have been a huge distraction and i agree with that concept it would have been kind of a circus every day the coach being asked you know you know how long are you going to stay with Sam he just threw two interceptions you know when is Zach time so uh so they eliminate that potential distraction and I I, I'm on board with that I I could see why they they wanted to just start fresh with a new quarterback Oof, I'm not on board with that if either of these quarterbacks or the coach couldn't handle the questions from the media about it I don't know 
if they're destined for success well, at the NFL level, right? I mean, that's inevitable. Well, let me make something clear. I'm not on board with the trade, period. I've been pretty outspoken for the last few weeks that I would have kept Sam and traded that number two pick because I, I think they could have brought back a massive haul, you know, mm. probably two future first-rounders and set themselves up for years with what they would have been able to get for that second pick. And I would have rolled the dice with Sam. I would have given him another year with a, with a new coaching staff and a different scheme and some better players around him. I, I think he could have been okay. And that's what I would have done. And, and plus, I'm not 100% sold on Zach Wilson or any of these other quarterbacks. So that's what I would have done. The Jets obviously did not feel that way, and so they're starting fresh with probably Zach Wilson. Rich Why Samini, did they ESPN Jets reporter with us here on, on Spain and Fitz? Really quick question before you go, Courtney, that I wanted to ask about that. You know, they also had the opportunity, like you said, to use that pick to bring in a number of good players and then potentially have a, a wide-open selection of some veteran quarterbacks ready next year. Do you think that they are just sold on the idea yet again for however many times this is in the last decade or so of the savior young drafted quarterback? Yes, I think they're going to go in that direction. Uh, I, I think, you know, they, they're, they're going to have two number ones next year. So they, they still have enough draft capital to, to build around this, this quarterback, which we all think will be Zach Wilson. So, yes, uh, I think that is the plan to start. I feel like I, this is deja vu. You know, only three years ago we were at being talking about how great Sam Darnold was going right. to be. And things things changed so quickly in the NFL. I mean, Sam was thrown into a really tough spot. I mean, obviously he did not play well, but he had questionable coaching. The talent around him was highly suspect. And so I just thought he was thrown into a really unstable environment. And so I hope he does well in Carolina. It'll be better for him there. But, uh, yeah, it looks like the Jets are going to commit to a young quarterback and build that way. So the Jets are approaching year two, or Joe Douglas is approaching his second-year anniversary uh, in a couple months of being hired by New York. And when you take a look back at all of their first-round picks since 2011, nine of them, I saw a tweet that you had, they've either been cut or traded. As far as a legacy-defining move for the Jets GM in finally being able to turn the page away from the years of just chaos and calamity and not having everybody on the same page and just misdirection, do you think that this sets them up to go in that direction, or do they have to do something else to kind of bolster that? That was a great description, Courtney, of what the Jets have been like for the last 10 years. Chaos, you know, calamity dysfunction that that pretty much covers it but i i do agree that this is kind of even though joe douglas is coming up on his second year anniversary it's really it feels like a, a, a new start for him because now he's got his coach he inherited adam gaze i mean he walked into adam gaze's situation and and that was a tough spot you know because adam already you know was already down one gm you know he got mike mccagnan fired before they even played a game and so it was dysfunctional. And so now Joe goes out, he hires his own coach, Robert Sala, which I really like. I like that hire. And so now he gets his own quarterback. So there is a new feel to it and a fresh start. So this is legacy defining stuff for Joe Douglas within a span of two months, two months plus he's hired a new coach and he's made a major quarterback move. So this is officially Joe Douglas's team. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. We're talking to ESPN Jets reporter Rich Cimini about the trade sending Sam Darnold for the Panthers for draft picks. Do you know anything about Sam Darnold's mental 
state uh, what kind of guy he is amidst the criticism, the spotlight, and now this move. Um, does it feel like he's someone who could pull a Tannehill post Gase and show up somewhere else and thrive, or is there any chance he's been broken by the first couple of years of his professional career? Uh, you know, that, that's a great question. I, I do think there's some career rehab that needs to be done. I, I do think he is somewhat broken just from what he's been through in New York. I mean, they they were awful last year. I mean, he, it, a month into the season, he was throwing to practice squad receivers uh, because of injuries. And mm-hmm. the best player he receiver he had in New York for three years is Robbie was Robbie Anderson, who they let go to Carolina. So there'll be re- a reunion there. And uh, he'll have better people around him in Carolina. So I do think he's going to need uh, a little bit of career rehab. I think he's mentally tough. He's he's so laid back. I mean, he is a Southern California kid who's just seems to let things just roll off his back. You know, he doesn't seem to be affected by any of it, at least not outwardly. Everyone in the locker room the last couple of years said he was very even keeled, never got too high, too low. I actually would have liked to have seen him show a little more emotion, uh, especially as he was growing into more of a leadership role. But he had that you know, that Eli Manning kind of persona, just really low-key and, you know, like, whatever. It's it's cool. Everything will be cool. That's That was his mantra. And I, I think it'll work better in Carolina than it did New York. Awesome stuff, Rich. Thanks for the time. You're welcome. Thanks. Rich Samini, ESPN Jets reporter. A lot of stuff from him on the .com right now. You can go read more about the trade, too. He's given us a straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Uh, to his point about the Southern California boys, someone just uh, tweeted me, Sam Darnold looks like he owns and operates a boogie board rental hut, and that is accurate. Uh, he also always looks like a guy who says something like, do you know who my dad is? Um, he just has those vibes. Uh, no judgment on him as a person. I actually met him. He seems like a nice guy. Uh, we took a picture of him pointing to his spleen uh, after Stu Gatz was his spleen for Halloween on Around the Horn. I wish the best for him. I hope he doesn't get dragged down by the Jets for the entirety of his career. We'll see if the Panthers are the spot for him. Coming up, what does this trade mean for the Panthers, for Teddy Bridgewater, and for the draft? We'll get into all that next here on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's right. We knew it was coming. We didn't know when. And apparently on the night of the men's national title game, that's when the Jets decide to finally pull the trigger. Darnold to the Panthers for a couple trades. Uh, draft picks. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz is out. Courtney Cronin in on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, Yahoo Sports senior NFL reporter Charles Robinson. Charles, thanks for the time. No problem at all. NFL, always intruding, never never an offseason. That's right. Feel everybody's right. thunder. The NFL offseason, <laughs> it never sleeps. Uh, Let's talk about the expectations for Darnold with the Panthers. Everybody says the same thing. Well, we don't really know who he is because he's always been with the Jets. I'm going to force you to make a prediction. Is he the next coming of Tannehill post-Gase? Or have we seen what we needed to see about Darnold's potential in the pros? Um, Man, that's a good question because, I, you know, it's so hard to – I'll, let, me, let me frame it to you this way. When when Darnold, it was clear that Darnold was going to hit the market late in the Jets season and, and it looked like they were going to have the number one pick. And, you know, it was clear that they were going to likely take Trevor Lawrence and have to shop him. I, I talked to a couple pro personnel evaluators and I said, 
you know, kind of break it down on, on Darnold. And they're like, honestly, the, the offense around him has been so poor and the offensive line has been so poor. It's a really difficult evaluation to figure out where he is at this point in his career. Like, you know, he, he is definitely somebody that, um, you know, he's retained some of the bad habits that he came out of USC with. Um, you know, he'll, he'll make some questionable decisions. I wouldn't quite put him on, say, like a Jameis Winston level his last year with Tampa. But, you know, he'll throw off his back foot a lot. Um, you know, he'll, his, his mechanics at times haven't been great. But, you know, when you would talk to pro personnel evaluators that watch film on him or, or opposing, like, GMs that would be in the, in the boxes watching him, it was when I look at the talent around him, and the coaching, I really don't know, you know, if he's even close to the ceiling where he could possibly be. So I wouldn't say, you know, he's a Tannehill level, um, you know, risk right now, but um, or a Tannehill level ceiling right now. But um, it, it makes sense for Carolina. I mean, it's a low risk um, opportunity with a guy that had a lot of upside. And, you know, I, I do think there were other suitors out there. It's just all the other quarterback spots filled up and this is what they were left with. Now we're hearing reportedly that the Panthers will indeed pick up his $18.9 million fifth-year option yeah. for 2022. So that essentially gives them, Charles, like age 24, age 25, two more seasons to truly right. evaluate what they have in Sam Darnold and if he can be fixed or not. Right now they're, they're scheduled to be the eighth overall pick, and it doesn't sound like they're ruling out potentially taking a quarterback in the draft. Do you see them doing that? Do you see that that being the way that that plays out yeah. by the time round no. one's over? No. no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't. And, and the reason why I don't think so is because this was a team that, you know, they were very, very much involved in – well, as involved as they could be in the Deshaun Watson pursuit pre all the civil lawsuits being filed, they were you know, they were really interested. I mean, they were clearly a team that if the Houston Texans decided, hey, you know, post free agency, we're gonna we're essentially gonna you know go with the highest bidder, but we're gonna open it up to everybody's interested. They were gonna be in the thick of it. You know, owner David Tepper. It was clear um, he really valued Deshaun Watson, and and I think his experience with Teddy Bridgewater showed him pretty quickly, like. I, I think David Tepper feels like he can identify what a Super Bowl-level quarterback was, and he knew that Teddy Bridgewater was not that guy. He believed Deshaun Watson was. And so, you know, I don't think draft-wise they, they were ever really looking at taking a quarterback at eight. I think Matt Rule and the, and the staff there preferred a veteran with some experience to come in. If someone was going to supplant Teddy Bridgewater, this is a veteran with some, some experience, albeit a, a different kind of experience. But um, no, I've I've never really gotten the the feel from this franchise that they've been in it for for a rookie quarterback because it, it was San Francisco moves to three. I never heard that you know Carolina was really vying for that third spot to try to get the third quarterback off the board. And I also believe that they think in terms of quarterback shelves, Trevor Lawrence is his number one. Uh, Zach Wilson's number two, and then there was a you know pretty solid drop off after number two. That you know once once you're getting past the second quarterback off the board, the the talent shelf and the developmental aspects of it were were pretty steep compared to the top two guys. In Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, Yahoo Sports, senior NFL reporter Charles Robinson with us talking Darnold trade. And I want to talk the draft, too, and you just mentioned it. I, I feel like we are getting telegraphed so clearly the idea that Mac Jones is the 49ers guy, and there are some things that that 
you know, you can read and look at the style and that makes sense. And then there are so many yeah. other ways where I feel like we're getting duped. And I feel like we're, we're buying into lion season. Do you think it's as simple as it going the way we've been promised the last couple of weeks? They don't have to lie as much because it's so clear that Trevor Lawrence is going one and, and Zach Wilson's going two to, to the Jets. And so the only thing that would change the Wilson dynamic um, to two at the Jets would be if, say, Deshaun Watson, the, the Texans just say, you know what, we're, we're going to take anything. Like at this point, whatever your, your offer is, you know, if, if, even if it's a low-ball offer, we, we have to do something in this situation. We understand it's a trade made under duress. That's the only way I could see the Jets' quarterback plans changing at this point. So you're sitting there at three, and, you know, you don't have necessarily have to lie as much because there's, you know, the, the, the possibility of someone moving up ahead of you to two, um, and they don't take Zach Wilson. I think the 49ers would be fine with that because then they get Zach Wilson. But um, I think the one thing I will say about the 49ers is I, I get the Mac Jones comparison to – the, the players that Kyle Shanahan has had success with at quarterback. But there's an element of Kyle Shanahan that's similar to Sean Payton in that he's got a, a good kind of arrogance where he feels like, hey, I, I can make any quarterback better. And if I feel like this is the guy with the best tool set um, and this is where the NFL is going, where it's not going to be these you know, shotgun-style guys who, who can't do a lot of off-script things, I absolutely could see, you know, Kyle Shanahan taking Justin Fields, Trey Lance, either of those guys over Mac Jones and, and not just falling into this slot that, that we believe um, he's been fitted for. Sort of like how Sean Payton has, has looked at his quarterback situation and said, hey, you know what, Taysom Hill, not really like Drew Brees at all, but I do think he's got some traits that if we can get him in the right place developmentally, this guy can be an impactful you know, starting quarterback who's leaning more into where the position's going. Now, domino effect-wise, what does this do around the rest of the league? Because in many circles, Denver was very much in on, on potentially bringing Sam Darnold in with new GM George Payton right. leading the charge. What direction did they go, and how is this going to affect other teams that were in pursuit of a veteran quarterback trying to add one before the draft? Well, you know, George Payton was in Minnesota when Teddy Bridgewater was there, and and they felt you know good about Teddy Bridgewater you know being a long term starter prior to the knee injury. That really changed kind of the calculus going forward at the quarterback position. Um, so there's a level of familiarity there. So I, I and and the Jets absolutely, um, or excuse me, the Carolina, Carolina Panthers are absolutely going to be looking to move um, Teddy Bridgewater, especially given they picked up that fifth year option on Darnold. So I, you know, I, I would expect the Broncos to kick the tires on Teddy Bridgewater, just sort of see what the, the value play is there for Carolina. And then, you know, also look at, at the salary. I mean, I don't know, maybe Teddy Bridgewater at this point would be willing to, you know, restructure the 2020 portion of his salary um, to, to help sort of facilitate some of the landing spots. I think San Francisco could look at Teddy Bridgewater as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think for Denver, that's a team that, I would expect um, can't really look past any quarterback options at all at this point. I mean, what's what's left on the board? Because there's no way, unless you're counting on, let's say, for example, where things are going with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I mean, it's not going to a great place right now. You know, are you just saying, hey, we're going to roll the dice on Drew Locke one more year? 
and then we'll take a look at Aaron Rodgers hopefully being available in some form or fashion after the 2021 season. I have a feeling we're in for an interesting evening on the NFL draft. Some of the things have shaken out already, but I don't think it's going to go uh, maybe the way it's lined up right now. Something to keep an eye on. Charles, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate the insight as always. Yep, thanks for having me. Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports with us on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Coming up, a very excited, potentially party-voiced, Chaneo Gumake of Chenangola Jr. going to join us to talk about that big Sanford win last night. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It was a little sloppy at the end. Neither team had a great play to close, but... It was Stanford who came out on top. Tara Vanderveer winning his coach in women's basketball history. Wins for the first time in 29 seasons. It had been 29 years since she last led her team to a title. And this was an incredible accomplishment for a team that was on the road for almost the entirety of the season. Just just an unbelievable number. 87 days on the road for the Stanford Cardinal this season. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight here on uh, ESPN Radio. As we get you ready for the men's title game tonight, we talk all about the uh, Sam Darnold trade. But I didn't want to uh, go on without reflecting on last night's game. And Chaneo Gumake is supposed to join us, but I'm just going to out her here. This reminds me of the time that um, I was at Prim Seripapat, former ESPNers wedding, and uh, Golik Jr. was having the time of his life. Uh, I elected to leave around two the rest of the wedding. I went to some party afterwards at another bar. And I woke up in the morning to several voicemails, including one from Mike Golick, asking if I happened to know what happened to his son the night before because no one could locate him for his morning radio show. Now, I realize, Courtney, that this show is on at night, and we have seen Cheney all day. So she, at one point, did wake up from her revelry. But my guess is that she may have taken a snooze after all that celebrating. Did we find her? Oh, we found, oh, we found her! Ah, co-host of Cheney and Golick Jr., Stanford alum. We are the champions, Oh, no, and she's singing just to start friends. it off. Um, Cheney, were you taking a little little snooze after your partying last night? Girl, no, I'm still working. You know, there's something <laughs> called this WNBA documentary that's coming out, and so I'm oh. on a Zoom, and so I totally, the time totally fell away from me. But your girl's taking her victory laps. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, how does it feel? My and especially friends. how does it feel when Tara Vanderveer says, you know, we had maybe even more talented teams that, that never got this honor. Do you feel like almost you're a part of this because you helped the program get there? Well, Coach Tara joined our show earlier and she said, Chanae, you are a winner in this. Aww. And I was like, okay, well, bet. If she says it, put it on my Wikipedia page. <laughs> it a ring. I am claiming it. I am claiming it. They're going to send me a ring, okay? Uh, <laughs> honestly, we do feel like winners because... It's been 29 years in between championships. That is the longest gap, the biggest gap in D1 sports history. And it's not just like, oh, that's a long time, blah, blah, blah. It's 29 seasons of top-notch players, which, mind you, when I was at Stanford, we were always number one or number two. We never deviated down below, like, rankings number one, two, you know, top three at least, you know, and – This is years and years and years of that and 29 seasons of great players that never got to the pinnacle and delivered. So finally, it's a relief because we feel like it's been so long and now this special team got it done. And we know that this Stanford team was special because 
It's the legacy of the legends of the past. Kate Starbird, Nicole Powell, Jane Appel, Candace Wiggins, you know, my sister. There's so many greats that have come and passed the baton. Just like, work, work, we will get closer. Work, work, we will get closer. And finally, to see this amazing selfless group, group finish through, pull through, it was awesome. How did they do this? Because like Sarah had mentioned, I know it's kind of a loaded question. They're on the road for 80 some odd days because of the COVID uh, restrictions in in California. And then they're not a high scoring team. Keanu Williams averages 14 point, you know, 14 points per game this season. That's the second lowest points per game by leading score of a national champion. How did they put this team together when, like Tara had said, she's had better teams, but this is the one, more talented teams probably, but this is the one that got it done. Not to flex. Your girl here averaged 25 or 26 points a game in my senior year, right? And you would think that those type of teams win, but it's actually the opposite at times, where if your leading score is 14, I guarantee you there's about eight or nine that are very close in double figures. And you know what that means? You never know who's going to step up. Mm -hmm. But everyone's a top-notch quality player. And so... And you just saw that with UConn, a lot of really great scores. But at the end of the day, sometimes in those tough moments, a Paige Beckers may be struggling with her shot in the first half, as we saw right of the semifinal. Who's going to step up? And this team has like made their mark by having a great number of players. It was Ashton Prechtel the game before, Keanu Williams the game prior to that. Uh, You know, this has been so great to see a team that was so well-balanced Seven players can knock down shots, guards and posts, and I'm talking about threes. This team set the NCAA record for most threes in a women's tournament, and so that's how they got it done. They were known for their offense, but you won. You know what they say? Offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. Mm -hmm. This defense won them a championship. I was there in person, and I saw it with my own eyes. Both teams were so long. They were so (laughs) long, too. That's nightmare stuff, the length on Stanford. Oh my gosh, I love it. Like pro pro height uh, and strength type of team. And that helps you with those matchups. But like, you know, I watched it in person, game, six games, right? The sixth game, both squads were tired because of the journey. But even more so, they were tired because of the year. To get like, like Ari and uh, Arizona and Coach Adia Barnes, amazing. Like hottest team in the tournament, tested in the Pac-12 conference, which was the best conference in basketball as of the last few years. But what Stanford went through, like 87 days straight playing on the road. And while they were doing that, they were number one. Remarkable. They finally make it back home, and then they take a couple of losses in conference, and everyone's like, oh, there it goes, this unperfect team. But that test, that tri- uh, trial and tribulation set themselves up to know how to weather the storm in the tournament. And so in a season like no other, for the Stanford Cardinal to be the champions, it feels right, especially for so many that have been rooting for them. And it seems like the work and contributions yeah. have gone unseen, especially Coach Tara Vanderveer. You know, um, now hey, it just today feels I wanna, right. I know, I know you think that this is your show again, uh, but you know, it is. This, it's not. Temporarily. It's, this is now Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin is in for Fitz. We're talking to Chineo Gumake of Chineo Angola Jr. We're almost out of time here. So in less than a minute, I wanted to ask this. We, I think the ESPN folks on the women's tournament side did a fantastic job of representing this. But a lot of people criticize the focus on superstars. To me, you grow the game in part by making it appointment television, and that's Airy, that's Paige. But a lot of people criticize that. They wanted more depth across the board of covering all the players. Where do you land on that? Yeah, I think you nailed it right there, Sarah. 
We knew Paige over the course of the entire season. She's an amazing freshman. There's no reason we should not know Ari McDonald at the start. Like someone that's a Pac-12, um, you know, champion in the sense that like best player, defensive player, all those stories of the people we see at the pinnacle, we shouldn't just be discovering them then. We have to carry that same energy. All the stars that we discovered this year, all right, next year, put their games on television, which our, our company has done the best. Our crew is the best. And so I think we just have to start carrying those storylines over and not just telling one, telling all of the amazing stories, even following Coach Adia Barnes, right? Like, yeah. those are the things that we have to do, carry over. Well, awesome stuff, Shanae. Thank you so much for staying up to talk to us. Give me some had love, girl. A, a party night last night, but congrats on the huge win. And That's uh, it. Uh, hopefully the, the celebration continues for you. That's uh, now it. That we can't go home. harder, Sarah. I mean, oh my God, congratulations yes. on being a part of a program that won after you left. I mean, oops, oh I mean gosh. that you helped build. Don't be hating. <laughs> you know what they say? If you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. We That's so true. That's so true. Right, Love you, Sarah. Off when she starts Thanks singing again. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Janae. Uh, awesome stuff. Janae Ogumake, obviously hyped. She's been running around the company all day. Um, there's a conversation in there. You know, do you focus on the stars? That's what people need to get attached, or do you try to cover everything? It's tough, and I saw people arguing about it. It's interesting to talk about. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we'll turn our focus to tonight's championship game. An expert breaks it down next. Baylor, Gonzaga, CSPN Radio, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. For a while there, I thought the women's basketball tournament was better. Better games, better competition, better endings, right? Not a thousand timeouts. And then that Gonzaga-UCLA game hit and brought them right up there. Men's tournament catching up with that incredible game and setting us up for what we wanted to see all year, I think. Baylor-Gonzaga. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz is out, Courtney Cronin in tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And let's bring someone in now there to talk about tonight's matchup, ESPN College Basketball Analyst Chris Batola. Chris, I've been in this business long enough to know that often when people are talking about one thing all season long and what they want to get, it doesn't go that way. And in this case, all year we've heard Baylor-Gonzaga. And here we get the matchup we've been looking for, maybe for two seasons even. Are the expectations for this game the same now after what we've seen from the tournament than what maybe you would have expected after watching these two squads in the regular season? No, Sarah. And, you know, it's interesting you say that. We, we hardly get what we expect. I think this tournament would be the poster child for that. I mean, we rarely get, you know, the best team uh, that that is you know is winning this thing. I mean, it's a, it's usually a momentum tournament. It's usually a, a, a team that's playing really really well that kind of makes its run. So to get what you're saying is is incredibly unique. But I think it speaks to uh, and and also in a pandemic, you know, to to get what we expected is even more unique. But um, I think it speaks to how good these two teams are. And, and I think even through. You know, Gonzaga having to play its really tough non-conference and then having to go through a, a lighter conference schedule and yet still getting here uh, pretty decisively outside of that UCLA game the other night. And then for Baylor to do what they've done, you know, the grind of a Big 12 schedule to only lose two games all season long and, oh, by the way, went on a three-week COVID pause right. uh, to get to get back to where they are. I, I, I just think it speaks to how good both those teams are and – you know, I think that has certainly bared out in this tournament. 
Chris, it's taken me a couple days to kind of wind down from Saturday night and the last (laughs) second desperation heave. And one thing that I'm wondering about um, from an analyst perspective with, with basketball, like quick short little story here. I cover the Minnesota Vikings, so I know that the Minneapolis Miracle in the days after that leading into the NFC Championship, there was no way they were going to win that game because they talked about the emotional hangover that just carried with them all week leading into that. With Jalen Suggs and the way that they won that game on a buzzer beater at the last possible second in overtime, do you worry about any sort of emotional hangover that may carry over and just cause this team to come out flat tonight? Yeah, it's a concern, and and it's a concern from the standpoint that when did they come down from that game? You you know, like, I mean, I've been there. I I was at Duke when we played in the national championship in 2010, and and we didn't have a game like that. But even the game we played against West Virginia before we played Butler in the national championship, we played the second game of the Final Four that night. We didn't get back to the hotel until 1 a.m., I, so I can only imagine, like, how long, when do those guys get to bed? And then when do you start preparing for Baylor? I mean, that, that's, that's a huge part of that whole thing. Now, I think one thing that, that might help in this scenario is that these guys are in a bubble. And, and, you know, I know they have cell phones, and there's obviously external noise and external pressure associated with that. But it's not, it's not the same as walking through the hotel, maybe going outside for a walk and having everybody up and down the, the road patting you on the back and telling you how great you are. Uh, you know, I think being in that bubble, for coaches at least, you've got your guys' full attention. You have a captive audience. So I think Mark Few's job of kind of reining them in, saying, look, we got a job to do on Monday night, I, I think it's a little bit different in the bubble than it normally is. But the other thing to throw into that is not only did, did – Uh, Gonzaga played that game that they had. Not only were they the second game, but Baylor had a cakewalk. So Baylor, you know, doesn't have much to come down from and then can start preparing immediately, uh, you know, once that Gonzaga game starts. So I I, I think the advantage in terms of preparation, to your point, uh, I think certainly in a vacuum would be with with Baylor, Baylor in this one. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, talking to Chris Patola. I, uh, you know, I, I veer the other way, which is that Gonzaga proved something to me with that win that they didn't get too tight in a close one after decided victories most of the season and tournament. Um, so I think as much as they did need to come down from that, uh, I think they probably come in feeling confident about their ability to hang in a close game, which we hadn't seen much from them. I'm wondering what you think the difference will be in this one. We obviously know these teams can score. So is it really just who comes out with the most effective defensive plan? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's uh, broadly speaking, yeah. I, I certainly think that's part of it. And, and it's, it's, you know, it would certainly favor ba- Baylor in that case. I mean, I, you know, there, there's two elements to this that I think become very important. If, if Baylor can make this a half-court game, and I've said this all year long, you, you have got to – the first thing you have to do with Gonzaga is you have to take them out of transition. I mean, they score so easily. I mean, they score easily in the half court, but they really score easily in the full court and in transition. And so if you're Baylor, I think you feel pretty good about your ability to defend them in the half court. Like, I think Baylor can get after Gonzaga's guards and make life difficult. The question becomes, what do you do with Drew Timmy? Uh, UCLA down the stretch of that game did not do a great job. And so what are you going to do on the block? How are you going to double him? What are you going to do in ball screens? 
if, if Drew Timmy does not have a good game tonight, I don't think Gonzaga has a shot. So I think priority-wise for Baylor defensively, that's the big thing. And then the other thing would be, how is this game called tonight? You know, in these big games, I think officials a lot of times let these, let guys play. You know, I think they let those things, they let players figure that out. And so how is this game called? I think if it's more, a, more of a physical game, I think that favors Baylor. So those are the two things. I, going into a game like this, I always, I always like having the be- better defensive team, especially when, you know, look, I think Gonzaga is better offensively, but I think the gap offensively is a lot closer than, than people think. Who has the bigger advantage here? Because we know that Gonzaga doesn't have a very deep bench. You mentioned, you know, Timmy, obviously Corey Kispert, Joel Aie, Jalen Suggs, but Baylor uses that eight-man rotation. And when you talk about depth and when everything's on the line for all the marbles, which do you think, which hand is going to play into that more tonight in deciding who wins this national championship? Yeah, it's a a really good point, and I I think – you know, the way that Baylor's bench manifests in terms of its production is really more on the offensive end. You know, that's where in, in the Elite Eight, we saw Davion Mitchell go out of that game with foul trouble, and, and things changed in that game, particularly defensively for Baylor. But, you know, when you're able to bring a, an Adam Flagler and a Matthew Meyer off your bench and they can give you buckets, that, that's a big advantage the other thing, again, it gets back to the, the premise of foul trouble. Now, it, it didn't necessarily bother Gonzaga the other night when Timmy had four, but it certainly affected the way in which Mark Few substituted. And I don't think that, that Gonzaga, to your point, is able to withstand long stretches of any of their starters out of that game for a length of time because of those bench issues. So, yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. There, there's no question. I think Baylor goes a little bit deeper, but – you know, look, in a game like this, the only thing that keeps, I think, depth an issue it would be foul trouble. Um, and, and I think, you know, certainly we saw Gonzaga be able to hand that the other, handle that the other night. And, um, and I, I, I think ultimately that that'll be, that'll be some, somewhat negated by the fact that it is, it is this type of a game tonight. It is the last game of the year. Uh, and outside of foul trouble, I don't think it's a huge, necessarily a huge advantage for Baylor. Chris Spatola, ESPN college basketball analyst with us here on Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight as we get you ready for the national championship game. Before we let you go, I'm curious, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about undefeated teams not being able to finish their run on the men's side. Does it help, you think, to not have a full stadium? On the one hand, you, of course, have the excitement and enthusiasm, and it seems really fun, but you also have the puckering and the group puckering uh, when everybody is looking for that historic moment together. You get behind, things don't look good, and maybe that, that manifests to something worse than if it's a little bit more subdued in terms of the fans and you just get yourself back in it the way you have all year. Yeah, it's a great point, and I've I've brought this up, you know, when analyzing sort of the overall body of an undefeated season. That's a big part of the narrative, and it's perhaps in the negative, but I think it's a big point, and because the building, even as big as that building is, and I know there are some fans, and obviously there's a lot of activity more than either of these teams have probably played in all season long. There's still an antiseptic feeling to it, and that's not pandemic humor. That I mean, that's just it's just got that feel to it, you know. Right. And so I think it's I think you're spot on. I think it's a big deal where you you just aren't going to feel, you know, that nervous tension that 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 crowd that can affect 
either a bad call or a good call or a, or a missed free throw, the groans. You, you're just not going to have that. So I do think that that's a significant deal. And I, I don't think – I'm glad you asked about it because I don't think it's been talked about enough, particularly in this tournament, uh, as it's unfolded. Because it is. I mean, crowds at this point, especially in a dome like that, it's going to have a major effect. And to not have that, I, I do think that's something that, that to, to keep in mind uh, when we're watching tonight. Well, we're all hoping for a game that justifies the greatness of the Final Four game that preceded it, uh, just to cap off a great tournament. Thanks for the insight, Chris. Appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. You have a great night. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. We're brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. We'll get back into some of that Sam Darnold news. Also, we've hit the Final Four of Pandemic Madness. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We know you're excited for tonight's game versus Baylor-Gonzaga, and we'll continue to get you ready for that. But we also have our own bracket that's closing in on the finale, and I have something unfortunate to admit about it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz is out, Courtney Cronin in on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and uh, we were going over this bracket early on and looking at the rows. We started with 32 how are we going to like break this down and do enough every single day on the show to make it the title game for the men's tournament Monday, the same time as we announce our final two? And uh, I counted wrong. So it's actually the final four tonight, and you will now have to wait until I return from vacation, which starts tomorrow. Uh, next Monday. Next Monday, we'll have the night to ourselves. Courtney, that's probably better, right? I mean, why would we want to have the men's title game compete with our title game. We should give them their own night and our night for ourselves. I mean, if you were the NFL, you'd be like, hell no. We're taking over today. We're dumping <laughs> We're dumping As all the do. results all at once. <laughs> um, yes, that's so, right. I mean, if you want to be the NFL, by all means. But I'm here for the Final Four. I'm excited to yeah. see what the final list is. This is my first uh, experience with Pandemic yes, Madness. Yes, this is. I've been on the show in a minute. The bracket is uh, Pandemic Madness. What got you through 2020? Uh a number of 32, in fact, things that helped us all get by in the last year. Things like cooking, public parks, long walks, pet snuggles, online shopping, Ted Lasso, the British baking show, redecorating your house. All of these things have been cast aside to leave us with the final, the final uh, competition. And it is a final four of number two alcohol, which took out Shit's Creek. Versus number one, sweatpants, which wiped the floor with cooking. On the other side, a number five seed going all the way, defeating video games. It's number five seed going braless or pantsless, taking on number one seed, The Last Dance, which took out long walks. Courtney, you got a feeling on these matchups, alcohol versus sweatpants, braless or pantsless versus The Last Dance? I think alcohol's got to win, right? Like it always wins. Um, for me, I mean, if I'm if I'm voting on these, if I'm going to go ahead and pick my national championship game, it would definitely be alcohol and the last dance. Because Ooh. think about it, you have to be on so many Zoom calls, whether they're happy hours, whether they're, um, you know, for me, media availability. We we learned what Zoom was right around this time a year ago, and we did quite a few of them. So you can't be brawless or pantsless on those um that would just be wrong so you can absolutely I think, be both i don't know what you were doing with your year 
I kept my camera on the whole time because okay. I like to engage with my subjects, <laughs> um, which I coincidentally, I have my camera off now on the Zoom, so you can tell yeah, I'm yeah, a complete course, yeah. liar and a fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would definitely say that those would be my two in the final four in the national championship, and alcohol, for me, is going to run away with it. I mean, I feel like alcohol is, is going to get the win. After all. When alcohol took out uh, Shit's Creek, that was a sign for me that it might have the staying power. Sweatpants are solid. But I feel like if you're going to give the nod to anything that helped you get through, it might be that. And then the last dance getting bumped up from a June to a March or whatever it was, was huge, uh, was necessary. Oh. Uh, a lot Plus of us CTV. are braless and pantsless at home a lot anyway. Uh, we, don't need, we don't need a pandemic for that. Uh, some of us are just going to start incorporating that into everyday life, see what happens. Uh, is it required to wear pants in public? I would argue some of the fashion of the young 20-somethings these days would tell you no. I mean, go look at an H&M commercial. Right. The runways. Yeah. High fashion, I'll tell you. Pants are, and bras, for that matter, overrated. Unnecessary, even. Uh, so that one that one uh, might be just have the Oppressive. staying power to, to go beyond pandemic madness bracket. It's at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, is where you can vote on the bracket. Uh, again, because I counted wrong, we will give the championship game next Monday when Fitz and I are back together so that we can close it out together. Uh, it's at Sarah Spain at Spain and Fitz to vote on Twitter. This is Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin hanging out, filling in for Fitz. Hey, real quick, you have a Viking story that hit right before the show started. Uh, has it been distracting for you? Are you trying to do work on this quarterback story while while we're on the air here? I mean, you know, when it rains, it pours. Um, you know, there was uh, there was an incident in, in Dallas with. Uh, for Vikings first-round cornerback, Jeff Gladney. He was a first-round pick. They traded back to 31 to get him last year. Um, and he turned himself in on a third-degree felony assault charge uh, stemming mm. from an incident that took place on Friday uh, where he allegedly assaulted a 22-year-old woman. So mm. been following that all last couple hours uh, once that broke uh, locally in Dallas. And, and, and I mean... From what this sounds like, the Viking statement reads, quote, we are aware of Jeff, Jeff's arrest and are gathering additional information. We, may, we take this matter very seriously, as the reported allegations are extremely disturbing. At this time, we will have no further comment. But um, the allegations that are out there right now involve somebody who says that they are in a relationship um, with Jeff Gladney and an alleged incident over a not uh, over her not letting him see her cell phone, um, mm. a closed fist punch. Uh, more will obviously come out in the police report that we, you know, ESPN's put an open records request in to obtain. I was actually doing that in the middle of a break. Um, but yeah, d- definitely does not sound like a very, a good thing. Um, certainly, obviously some very dark news um, in the allegations right now against the 24-year-old cornerback. But, um, you know, these are these are zero tolerance type things, and it always happens. I mean, every off season you anticipate having to kind of chase some non football news, and, and it always sucks when it's stuff like this that comes out. Absolutely, it's Spain and Fitz. That's Courtney Cronin. She's in for Fitz here tonight. Uh, Fitz is out doing digital stuff for the men's title game, which we're going to lead you into. Uh, that's uh, that's tonight, Gonzaga-Baylor, the matchup we've kind of been looking forward to all year long. And, of course, in the midst of all of this, we also have Sam Darnold finally getting traded. The Jets send him to the Panthers for some draft picks. Uh, we will get into all of that stuff a little bit later in the show. Get you ready for the title game. 
touch back on that Darnold trade and the timing of it all, which a lot of people, Courtney especially, are finding a little bit interesting, and some differing opinions on whether or not the Jets set him up for success and then when it was time to say goodbye if they did it too soon. Should have kept him on to compete with the likely draft pick they're going to get at number two. All of that, but first, coming up, the coach of one of the best stories in either tournament is going to join us, and I have already declared, embarrassingly, on the internet that she is my future best friend and potential life coach. Uh, I'm already here for it, and I've never talked to her or met her before. It's coming up next here on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. A lot of superstars in the women's college basketball tournament this year. You have your Paige Beckers, who everyone knew and was just given the Wooden Award. Got Ari McDonald, who kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of the country on the Arizona team. Got Caitlin Clark in Iowa that suddenly everybody perked up and paid attention to. But you'll be surprised to hear that one of the breakout stars of the women's tournament was a coach. Not even a player, but a coach who I've already decided I would run through a wall through. Never even talked to her yet. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, the head coach of that crazy Arizona team who saw their run finally end last night, Adia Barnes. Coach, thanks for the time. You're welcome. And it's really me. It's not a man. My voice is just gone. <laughs> so Listen, you're talking to the right person here. Me. Don't worry, I literally get called sir at Starbucks all the time when I order before they look up. Uh, I'm not surprised the voice is gone. What a run for you guys. And I just want to start off with, I mean, I already was obsessed with your coaching style, the vibes. I don't know what it was. I was, was, you know, head over heels the first time I saw you on the the sidelines getting it done. But when you did the double bird with the F-bombs, I literally was like, this is my new favorite coach. I don't care if there was... A thousand people who wanted to pretend that they were upset about it. Most people saw that and decided that they were part of the Adia Barnes hive. So take me to that moment. <laughs> well, so I, I really thought it was a little bit more intimate. Now, how did I think that on the floor? I don't know. But um, I kind of like, well, I said, come in tighter, you know? And I said, for everybody that didn't believe in us, you know, forget. I didn't say forget, though. I said, forget <laughs> them. We're going here. You know, I just bumped our team up because. People didn't believe in us from day one. For our region, we weren't even counted in our region. No one even said our name. And then we were left out of all these hype videos. Like, we weren't even, like, a participant. And we were, like, a top 12 <laughs> team the whole year. And so I kind of was like, screw everybody. It's all about us. And our team was like, yeah. So it was a moment. I didn't apologize for it. Because yeah. it was a moment with my team. I was loving on them. And so I didn't care. I, I was not going to apologize for it. Adia, one thing um, that constantly circulates throughout my group text with other women uh, in the industry and just women in general is uh, the, the term GSD, which is get stuff done, but stuff is substituted with yeah. something else. And I think that you have embodied that within this tournament that we finally get to see on a national stage what it's like to be a full-time mother, a full-time coach, and having to do the balancing act in the middle of a national championship game, I know yesterday at halftime, Holly Rowe was talking about you coming out of the locker room a little bit, a couple minutes after everybody else, and that you had to pump breast milk for your six-month-old daughter. What has that experience been like And really seeing it now normalized where working mothers are able to be at the peak of their profession, of whatever their profession is, and still be able yeah. to balance it all with motherhood? Yeah, so it's not easy, and I'm going to actually coin that term. I'm going to use that term GSD because that's going to be my new thing because that is so what we have to do as working moms. But, like, it's hard. It is hard. 
because if you wear so many hats and like on a typical game day, I wouldn't have pumped at halftime because I wouldn't have had as many obligations. So I would have timed it out to pump right before the game. But I had like more media and stuff, so I didn't really have enough time. And so I was like feeling it in the game and I'd like bolt it out to the locker room to just pump for like five or six minutes and just not have pressure. Um, and so um, I didn't even know how Holly found out about that because I didn't tell her that. But yeah, it's the reality. <laughs> I normally just wouldn't talk about it. But I mean, there's been times this year, literally, I have like gone out with like milk on my shirt. <laughs> like, thank God we're not dressed up because it would have been a nightmare. But yeah, it's just kind of what we do. And I know like the morning before the UConn game, I'm up from like four to six in the morning because my daughter, like, threw up on me, pooped all over. Like, <laughs> it's just our reality. And it's like men don't do it because most male head coaches, their wives are home taking care of the kids while they're working 80 or 100 hours a week. Yeah, so, like, it's, it's not my reality, but you just get it done. GSD. Yeah, you just GSD. And, of course, Holly Rowe always GSD, too. So she's going to find that out, whether you yes. want her to or not. She's Holly yes. Rowe. Uh, Adia <laughs> Barnes, head coach at Arizona, with us here on Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. I saw this great tweet from the undefeated. 2018, you won six games as the head coach at Arizona. Yeah. 2019, you won the women's NIT. No tourney last year, and now you're in yeah. the national championship. How do you have a turnaround that fast? Well, I, honestly, I don't know. I think it's just our kids and their work ethic and them just wanting it so bad. Now, if you'd have told me, Adia, this year you're going to go play the championship game after not going to the tournament last year, I would have <laughs> said, oh, whoa, 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 slow down. We don't have any tournament experience. I would have said, oh, I think we can go to Sweet 16 or win a few games. I honestly didn't think we'd go that far just because we haven't ever been there. It's like uncharted territory, so I didn't know how we were going to respond. But I think the WNIT really gave us momentum, confidence. It got Tucson just so excited about women's basketball. And then we just got hot at the right time. Now, national championship game, we were not the hot, the hot team we had been, but we still fought and we played with passion and we played with our heart. So I think that's how we won a lot of people over. Seeing what Ari McDonald accomplished and all that um, she brought to your program, I believe coming, you know, transferring in and, you know, being part of that. Well, what you guys were your... together, right, Coach, in your last stop, and then she made the move with you? Yes, yeah, so I recruited her when I was at University of Washington. Washington as a yeah. Coach. yeah that's... But what's going to be your lasting impression of her after the mark that she left on both programs um, in seeing just the brilliance throughout this tournament from her, even on rough shooting nights, still being able to GSD um, and, mm. you know, taking her next step, wherever that is for her, what's going to be your lasting impression? Well, just that she's got a different mentality. She's tough. She's a fighter. Um, she was a role player at Arizona. She came, I mean, she was a role player at Washington. She came to Arizona. I asked her to do a whole lot of stuff. And she embraced it. And she came here when we weren't good. She didn't know what the future held. Like, she didn't know what it was. We talked about a vision, what my vision was and what I wanted to do. But um, she believed in me. She believed in us. I always say she chose me twice. And we mm. built it together. So she's someone who is my family. Um, she's someone I'm going nav- to help navigate through life. Like, it just means so much to me because we kind of did it. We did together when no one else believed, and we kind of rolled our sleeves up, and we fought, and we just found a way to get things done. God, I love that. It's great. She chose you twice. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, in for Fitz with Adia Barnes, head coach of Arizona. 
played for Arizona, played seven seasons in the WNBA, played internationally, has been a broadcaster, and now in, in the, the right fresh in the spotlight with her team's run and her attitude and her vibes along the way. I want to get your take, especially after seeing some of these numbers, over 5 million watching at times last night for the title game, an incredible tournament all around. Looking back now at how this tournament was disrespected by the NCAA committees um, when it started, what message do you have for what an investment could do to make some of the numbers that we're seeing go up year after year even more meaningful and impressive? Well, women's basketball deserves respect, um, and we need support. I think that there was a huge disparity. And honestly, I wouldn't have even known half of that stuff because I would have never done the comparisons. Because so much of the stuff I didn't realize till it was pointed out, it, because we've just kind of dealt with that and it's kind of been like that the whole time. So when you're a female athlete and a coach, you're so used to the disparities, like it just becomes normal. So it's not until someone like says, oh, this is what the men, so I wouldn't have known, but I wouldn't have paid attention. So after seeing that, it was disappointing. You know, because when I first saw the weights, I just thought, oh, it's COVID, like it's just going to be like this, they're not doing anything. And then I said, well, wait a minute, when I saw different, but I didn't want the story of a wonderful basketball tournament to be the disparity and the inequality. We know that's there. We know it needs to be fixed. There needs to be accountability. But let's talk about these incredible female athletes. Let's talk about their stories on and off the court. And I'm just so glad that there was, there's so much parity in women's basketball. Yeah. And no one knew who was going to win this year. And the games were great. There was lots of upsets. And so I'm so happy our game is growing. And I challenge women around the country, support women, watch our games. Like, you're head of household, buy tickets, like, do those things, and it grows our game. But women need to, to support each other. Yeah, I totally agree. There is this sort of uh, institutionalized, everyday exposure to men's sports. It's on at the bar. People are talking about it at the water cooler. People passed it down generation to generation. As women's sports continue to grow, um, there needs to be an investment and an intentionality about introducing it in the spaces that you're in, whether that's a work trip that you take to a women's game instead of going to a regular ball, ball game or whatever. Um, and really engaging in the conversations around it. And thankfully, this tournament has provided with endless players, coaches like you, and storylines to follow up on. Um, just can't wait till next year. Can't believe you got to wait a whole year for another tourney. Uh, but uh, I will be stalking you between now and next tourney anyway because I've uh, allotted you to be <laughs> no, my life coach, you. my best friend, my drinking partner. I don't even know if you do that, but I'm just going to, based on the voice, assume so. Um, thank you so much for the time, and congrats on such a great run. Yeah, thank you very much. Adia and GSD, my new term, GSD. GSD. I love it. I love it. Arizona I love head that. coach. When we see that on shirts next year, I hope Courtney gets the credit for it, right? Arizona basketball, I know, GSD. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tweet it out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thanks so much, Coach. Uh, coach Thank Adia you. Barnes here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Coming up, we're going to get you set for tonight's game, Baylor-Gonzaga. Also, Aaron Rodgers' Jeopardy debut absolutely capped off by a perfect final Jeopardy answer. We'll explain that next. ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Ah, yes, this is the song for me today. I got stabbed. I got the vax, baby. I'm in 5G now, Courtney. It's remarkable. Bill Gates is <laughs> tracking my every got move. Chip. I got chip. I got extra powers. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain... Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel. I've never been so excited to walk in somewhere and get a shot. I was Oh, my pumped. God. I when was I got, thrilled. 
I know. When I got mine, I drove 50 miles because Minnesota opened up 16 and plus last Tuesday. So I was on radio last Sunday night and I saw there were a lot of uh, openings. Like they start releasing them like late at night. And I'm like, all right, well, Bemidji's like 150 miles. Crookston, Minnesota, where I've never even been before. I've never heard of it. It's like 250. I'm like, man, that's four hours. It's a whole day. It's it's the NFL. Stuff's popping off left and right. I don't know if I could do that. But I found one in St. Peter, Minnesota, nice. which is 50 miles south of where I live. I went there. And I didn't feel anything. So, of course, my spiraling and anxiety is like, did I actually get the shot? Did she give it to me? Is this some sort of conspiracy? Did I actually get poked? So I go to my car and I rip the Band-Aid off just to make sure that there was like That's a little funny. prick of blood there. Because I'm nuts. I'm clinically yeah, no, insane. Well, so, and so I'm excited, I, though. Yeah, I commended my lady on talking right through it. Because she, she said, you know, are you ready? And then she's like, okay. And I said, yeah, down. I'm ready. And then she's like, okay. And then after this is what's going to happen. And she's like, talking, talking, talking. And then she just stabs me while she, I'm like, oh, and that's it. Yeah, same thing. I was like, oh, I barely even felt it. Uh, thrilling. Thank you, science. So grateful for science. Also grateful for Aaron Rodgers' uh, Jeopardy run starting because um, we all know that despite being a Bears fan, somehow Aaron Rodgers is my favorite player. And I knew that this was going to be a tremendous combo, especially after I read Rob Domofsky's article talk about how seriously he was taking it and how he was studying tape. Um, today, he, he's hosting his first show. And one of the things he revealed in that Domofsky piece is that the host can see what the contestants are writing down for Final Jeopardy as they're writing it on their screen. Can help them sort of set up the suspense at the end better. Here's how it sounded when the guy today didn't know the answer and decided to ad-lib a little with his Final Jeopardy answer. Scott, did you come up with the correct response? Who wanted to kick that field goal? That is a great question. Should, should be should be correct, but uh, unfortunately for this uh, this game today, that's incorrect, and you're going to lose zero. <laughs> didn't wager anything, so it didn't cost him any money. And of course, we were all asking the same question, Courtney. Yes. You don't get uh, you don't get points for that question, but you do get credit from Aaron uh, in the end. There, uh, love it, and a great way to kind of start the run there. I especially love people have gotten a little bit uh, chippy with their final jeopardies. Uh, you know, there's certainly been some good ones back when Alex Trebek was still hosting, and uh, some of these replacement hosts are getting a uh, little ribbing as well. I think he's going to be good. He seemed good today already. He's so calm. And like yeah. when we were talking about who was going to replace Alex Trebek, and I know that he's kept the door open, Aaron Rodgers, that is, to potentially doing this longer, you didn't need some over-the-top personality mm-hmm. or somebody from like late-night TV. I know that that was thrown around. That's why I think Ken Jennings um, makes complete sense because of his history with the show. But yeah. that subdued, stoic yes. – um, you know, able to roll with the punches, take that answer that he got for the final Jeopardy question in stride. It was so perfect because it didn't turn into a comedy show at that point. It was still the highbrow, high esteem show that is Jeopardy. And you heard the crowd laughing at the end. Everybody knew what it was, but it was just so perfect. And I think he handled that so perfectly. Yeah, um, Must be all that right. film he was watching. I think you're right about the attitude. I even think Ken Jennings, because of how kind of smarmy he is about how smart he is, it's not as enjoyable to me as Alex always seemed like very confident, but not a know-it-all. And I think Aaron Rodgers feels that way when he's hosting too. Like he's got everything under control, but he's calm about it. 
It's been good. I don't. I don't know if uh, I don't know if they pay as much as being a quarterback in the NFL. So he might delay the arrival of Jeopardy a little bit longer. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz is the name of the show. Spain and Fitz podcast. Uh, you can get all sorts of goodies that you can only get digitally, and of course, anything you miss on the show tonight. We're taking you into the game we've all been waiting, not just this season for, but I think a lot of people looking for it last year, too, and we didn't have a tournament, Baylor-Gonzaga. And Scott Drew, the head coach for Baylor, talked about how do you even begin to try to stop this quick Zags team, especially in transition. There's a lot of keys, but uh, uh, I think it starts with keeping Gonzaga out of transition. Uh, we can't give them the 25 points or whatever they're scoring per game in transition. Uh, you got to make things as tough as possible, and uh, we can't give them easy ones. Absolutely, and that's going to be the case on both sides. There's going to be a lot of points scored tonight. Who has the best defensive approach is going to be huge, and that's what Seth Greenberg talked about on Barton Hahn today. It's going to be a high-scoring game. Now, I, I, Santa Clara can't get seduced into playing up-and-down basketball. Uh, they've still got to take care of the ball. They can't take bad shots because you take bad shots against Gonzaga, and they are running that thing right down your throat in 14 seconds. They're laying it in a spread ball screen, dribble handoff, it, uh, you know, Baylor's a team that can score it. Baylor's a team that can defend. They've got, as we know, we've got they've got an incredible backcourt. Uh, they got five guys that can drop twenty five on you on any given night. Yeah, I mean, Courtney, I feel like after the other night, there's a little bit more doubt in Gonzaga's ability to win tonight than there was during the tournament. They were just so far ahead of everybody. Did that near loss to UCLA put any doubt in your mind, or are they still the favorites for you tonight? Slightly, only because like what I said earlier, just the, the emotional hangover. I don't know if it truly exists in basketball the way it exists in other sports where it was such a high. It took that last second in overtime after UCLA pushed Gonzaga to like the brink. They shot 58% from the floor. It's the highest field goal percentage against the Bulldogs this season. They were pushed at the ultimate peak of this entire tournament. Um, can they rebound from that literally and figuratively and be able to stop Baylor from getting out on an early run? Because you think back to, what was it, that uh, game against Villanova when Baylor couldn't hit the broadside of the barn, yet somehow because of their defense, it didn't require them rifling off three, four, five threes to, to cut into that lead and flip that game. They did it on defense. So, I mean, that's the approach I think that you have to take if you're Gonzaga, to be able to walk away with a perfect season and uh, there will be some proud Indiana Hoosiers, I think, ready to pass the torch uh, tonight if that does happen. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz. Do you think, you know, we, we always can kind of look ahead at the takes. Do you think that there will be anyone taking this as a weird season or an asterisk season or taking anything away from Gonzaga's ability to do it if they are the first to do it in so long during this kind of weird COVID season. And the fact that they play in the West Coast Conference. Absolutely there will be people who are willing to doubt it and say, well, go play in a real conference. Go play against um, Kansas and Oklahoma and Baylor every single night. There's always going to be those people. But I think that this team and what they brought to this stage of basketball with 27 straight games by double-digit victories out besides the one the other night, um, they're unstoppable. This might be the best group that Mark Fuse ha ever had, and he did it all the same place. That, to me, is what's so remarkable and what I'm so excited about hopefully seeing culminating tonight because this was my most uneducated bracket ever, Sarah, and <laughs> I picked Gonzaga to win. 
I did too. Um, I won the Around the Horn bracket challenge for at least for the panelists for the women's side. Uh, I accidentally just an error in, in in bookkeeping. I think picked Illinois in that bracket, but I have Gonzaga in my other ones, so there's still a shot for me to be um, among the top of a couple of them. I have no integrity. Uh, just brackets wise, not anything else. Freddie Fitzsimmons coming up next. Enjoy the game. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.